0: Hello, and welcome to EPR with your favorite environmental nerds, Nick and Laura. On today's episode, we're going to give our shout outs. Nick and I pine for a time when we are able to travel again and talk about our worst travel experience, and it somehow turns into some solid travel advice. And today we're talking to Dennis Peters, our Hawaiian correspondent, on how the pandemic has impacted <laughs> the islands, the difference between those islands, and the perils of military ordnance removal. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Hit that music.
1: Our shout outs for today go to the Florida Association of Environmental Professionals for their support during the big shift for the 2020 conference. I know that was a big challenge for us. So I want to say thank you to Tim Perry, John Abbott, Ryan Goldman, Amy Guilfoyle, Courtney Arena, Eric Nygaard, and everyone else in the chapter that supported us. I know there are so many of you that helped make that virtual conference uh, a reality last year. And I want to say that we're all so appreciative of that. So thank you so much for doing it. Be sure to share your promotions, new jobs professional and project awards with us on the EPR website, so you can get featured here. And don't forget to register for the 2021 conference that's coming up on May 17th to the 20th. And if you'd like to sponsor a future episode, head over to www.environmentalprofessionalsradio.com and check out our sponsor form for details. And with that, let's get to our travel stories. We're going to talk to Dennis Peters in a minute about, you know, the Hawaiian Islands, and munitions but we also talked to him about his love of flying and what it's like to fly in hawaii dealing with all that turbulence and i actually had a, an emergency landing almost the last time really? i flew second to the last time i flew yeah they were basically like well our landing gear is not down but <laughs> we're gonna try to land anyways like we think it might just be an error but it it might not be so good luck and it was oh my god, it was so why would terrifying. they even tell you that? I like, don't know. I mean, <laughs> I guess they wanted us like we had to brace for impact, we had to do all that stuff. So it was really important to to be prepared for that, I guess. But like, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. Like the last minute and a half, we're oh, all god like just. And I'm sure you know, there was a approach. big giant
0: cheering moment when y'all It was the second the,
1: the tires all hit and it was just <laughs> oh, we were so thankful. You know, it was so so happy it's like they, they basically we were it was daytime, so they were actually circling,
0: mm-hmm. so the
1: air traffic control was like, "Well, your back wheels are definitely down. we have no idea if your front wheels are down, so in that case it,
0: like really no one has a good pair of binoculars what's going on yeah
1: here? they couldn 't see <laughs> apparently they couldn't see the front and uh And you know, god, webcam. I have
0: it, you know, I can have a webcam at my door that tells me when a cat goes by, but you can't have a webcam on the airplane that tells me if my wheels are down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe they should invent that because oh my god, it was terrifying. And I have no clue what the plane was like. And there, I was a person like who happened, I wasn't in an exit row, but I was next to an exit row. It was a really strange plane where they only had one exit Mm -hmm. on one side. And then they were like, okay, well, I need you three. And they pointed at me to like, you know, make sure everybody gets off the plane. I'm like, oh. (laughs) Uh, I'm first right you mean me first I'll be last oh okay yes Um, everyone follow me (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: right. (laughs) it's this way I'll show you (laughs) well
1: uh, one of the crazier parts of it though is like they said that you know you know if this door is damaged I'm gonna need you three to lock arms and keep people from trying to go through the door (laughs) because they'll try inside I was terrified but outside I'm like absolutely you know I'm here for you. Wild
0: West, you are hereby marshaled. Here's your,
1: right. That's exactly (laughs) what it felt like. It was was crazy, you know. And we, I still have a picture like when we landed, and there's like all these fire trucks outside of uh, you know, the windows and everything. So it was, it was nuts. That's crazy. Yeah. So can't wait to get back to flying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Especially after those planes have been sitting idle for a while. You know how many cars in the driveway for a long time?
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. (laughs) What are they doing with those? They've got to, like, they have to fire them up every now and then just to make
0: sure. I'm sure. I'm sure there's some sort of something happening. Um, God. But yeah, it's things you don't want to think about too much.
1: No, I know. I know. It's, It's scary. And I don't know if you've ever had even a remotely close call on a plane, but there's always. Like, you know, like the turbulence that's only a couple seconds long is still terrifying, but it's mm-hmm. it's when it's like ten seconds long when you're like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is a problem, you know. Um Yeah.
0: We've had some pretty big drops before and um it's oh, awful. Last year I had to get diverted to another city because of too much snow and ice here in Syracuse. Yeah. But it wasn't anything bad. I'm thinking that I might have had a bad experience that I literally have blocked out of my brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's something as many times yeah. as I've flown, but yeah, nothing actually coming to mind. I've been pretty lucky Yeah. Um, for all the times that I've flown.
1: Yeah. Adventures and travel though. Have you ever had like a lost bag or anything like that?
0: Yes. There was this one time where I was trying to fly from Florida to Boston in the winter yeah. and it was just a total nightmare. That was one where like the flights are delayed. Oh, we're going to put you on this other plane. And it was like, okay, cool. Is my luggage going to actually make it also? And they're like, yeah, sure. Of course it will. And you're like, literally thinking like, that's impossible. That's totally impossible. And of course it didn't. Yeah, So then you're even more angry because they lied to your face. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So so frustrating. You know, there's just so much now that you know, do business consulting, when you go in an airport and you see all the things that could be better, yeah. you're just like, oh, so maddening, especially when it comes to customer service. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah. So that was probably one of the worst. And that was one where, like, I had been traveling for 24 hours trying to get a two and a half hour flight away. And then you get. Yeah there and they're like, no, we don't have your baggage. And you're just like, I have lack of sleep. I'm starving. And because the airports have been closed overnight and there's no food. food. And then you're like, and now you're telling me my bag's not here. And then you just kind of lose it, even though it's not a big deal, but you're just tired and cranky and whatever.
1: It's an emotional time for sure. Yeah. And this uh, is a travel tip. I'm going to give everybody a travel tip right now. When you're traveling and you you always have a carry-on, there is never a reason for you not to have a carry-on. Make sure you pack at least one pair and preferably two pairs of clean clothes in that carry-on <laughs> because you will lose your bag and it and will, you will be delayed. Yes, yes. You need to have that stuff and it, nothing more embarrassing than showing up and like, well, I've got my ripped jeans and, you know, my hoodie for this client meeting I've got. So what's up, guys? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I actually have gone through the phases, sort of like the phases you go with camping, where like when you're young, you're like, yeah, tent camping, woo. And then you're like, right. I'm getting too old yeah, for, this. Cool for this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Now yeah. I'm like full-blown RV. Yeah. Um, <laughs> same with traveling. I used to... I think after I lost the bag, then it was like, no, I'm never checking a bag ever again. So I always right. took everything carry on. And then it yeah. was like, okay, know, I've got back issues because I'm an old lady and yeah. now I need a rolly bag. So <laughs> now I actually like to travel in comfort and I pay to have yeah. a bag checked, but I do bring as yeah. much yeah. as I can and all of my valuables with
1: yeah, me on back the plane. Ups. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Like, uh, we had that happen to us. My wife and I were going to Peru and so... We boarded a flight from Miami, landed in, in Peru, in Lima. And they were like, we were like, where's our bags? And they're like, oh, it's in Miami with you. And I'm like, I'm in Peru. Like, I am, I am <laughs> <Hi>. not <here." laughs> yeah. And so, man, it's just all this back and forth, right? All this back and forth. My wife has nothing else. And I've got like clothes for three days because, you know, it's, yeah. we're going to the Amazon. So, like everything's like, You're I just like, need a, a t-shirt, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, she's panicking and panicking and panicking. And like, we're like, well... They're like, we'll send your bags to the next destination, and we're like, that's great, but we're going to the Amazon. Like, we're taking a boat forty-five <laughs> minutes upriver, and we're not going to be anywhere near
0: right you know, just civilization. Back to the airport, and we'll have it right.
1: right. And so they said, well, don't worry, it'll be there when you land, and so you won't have to worry about it, right? And so we're leaving the hotel, and the woman that checks us in just happens to still be working there, and she's like, oh hey, we've got your bags. <laughs> 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 we were like three seconds away from just walking out. And not having them—that's crazy. It was wild.
0: Uh, communication again. Let's very just important communication yeah. breakdowns. The other thing that I learned the very very hard way was not to travel with anything that you love. I do not bring my right. favorite clothes, no, my favorite never, anything. Never. We went on a four day hiking trip in the Olympic National Forest. And it was supposed to be, I think, like a thirty-eight mile hike over three days, and it ended up the yeah. entry to it. There was a washout at the road, so there was an extra five miles on each end. So we ended up doing fifty miles in three days. Wow! And had to park in an area that was not designated for the parking, and we stopped hmm. the ranger, ranger, Stanger, ranger, Stanger? <laughs> ranger station like it's <laughs> supposed before we got started.
2: Right, right. And
0: you know they told us to go ahead and just park there; it's fine. And then. When we were on our way back, we're in like the last two miles, all we're talking about is the showers we're gonna take, the food yeah, of we're course. gonna eat, yeah. the beers oh, we're gonna so drink. Great. We're just yeah, like, yeah, Woo! Yeah, yeah. And then one of our party had gotten to the car first and he comes back down the hill and he just looks like he got punched in the gut. And we're like, oh. What's wrong? And it's like, all of our stuff is gone. And then oh, we find no. out they had not only stolen all of our stuff, but they had cut the gas line and siphoned all the gas out of the car.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: So we had enough gas to get back to the ranger station where they then proceed to tell us that there is a drug problem in the surrounding area and a lot of people doing some shady things and that this is not an uncommon occurrence. And we're like... Oh, thank you for oh, telling that. Thank you us so ahead much. Ahead of time, yeah. so we might have actually packed our wallets and or whatever with us on the trip instead of leaving it in the car. Where you kind of oh, insinuated that it was okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's terrible. That's terrible. Yeah,
0: it was. And I had like actually, you know what? You're gonna love this. Oh no, I had <laughs> a. Very unique against me t shirt that Jesus <laughs> himself and oh, it's probably no. rotted away on the side of, of a course. hill because yeah, I imagine they, even... they grabbed our backpacks and threw out anything that Into they were me. like oh. not worthy, yeah. you know what Who I mean? cares? Yeah, or some meth head is running around wearing my against me t shirt, yeah, super cool. Yeah, oh, um, <laughs> favorite jeans, favorite belt, but oh, I, I really lament losing that t shirt.
1: I know, right? Yeah, and it's it just takes one like scare to put you on that path. Like, I, I'm only bringing like monochrome colors. Like, I don't care if it's a t-shirt with nothing on it. I don't care (laughs) if this gets lost, you know? Yeah.
0: All right. Super excited to have Dennis Peters with us today. He's a registered environmental manager with Hart Krauser Inc. And I'm going to let him tell us a little bit more about himself to get us started here. Welcome, Dennis.
3: Thanks, Laura. And thanks, Nick. It's great to be with you guys. Yeah. Great to have you. Well, first of all, I'm so excited that, you know, you've got this podcast going for, you know, environmental professionals. So kudos to you. And let's hope that it's a good experience for everyone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So far, so good. Good good (laughs) listeners. Yeah. Wonderful.
3: (laughs) I can't wait to start listening to them as they roll out. Yeah. I, um, as you said, I'm with Hart Krauser now. I've been in Honolulu for about 26 years. I started with ch 2 Hill way back in the day in Corvallis and then moved to Hawaii because we had our, our son who's almost 28 now we wanted our family and our kids to grow up here in Hawaii because my wife is from here. And so, yeah, so I, um, I, you know, I've just had a great experience working, you know, as an environmental consultant all these years and most of them here in Hawaii, doing some work around the Pacific. And I guess just for some context, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades kind of environmental person. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's a sort of that kind of path you can go down in, in different career fields. And in this yeah. one, you know, I ended up being on kind of a more general path where I do, I can do lots of different things. Maybe I just don't do them real well. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I've had a great experience. And I recently joined a Heart Krauser and it's just been great. Hawaii has been great place to be an environmental professional in every yeah. every state every location has its own nuances and of course yeah. interesting yeah. issues but you know we but we really have just these amazing natural resources and economic challenges and you know community concerns and uh, right. it's just yeah. been it's just been kind of a you know sort of one challenge and enjoyment after another to be working in this industry here
0: yeah, that's so cool. It sounds so glamorous. Like I <laughs> yeah, do work in Hawaii. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. so I'll do my best to make it sound, you know, as glamorous as I can.
0: <laughs> right. Well, my next question was actually, you know, if you're doing what you thought you would be doing when you graduated, and you know, from what you just said about being a jack of all trades, and the reason I like to ask that question is because a lot of people just starting their careers have this like perception that they have to pick a thing. You know, right. so yeah, you know, maybe do talk more about. That it's okay and that you can just kind of like
3: uh, Yeah you know, ab- ne- necessarily need to specialize, maybe. Absolutely, Laura. You're so right, at least in my own personal experience. Yeah, no, I am not doing what I thought I was gonna be doing when I <laughs> when I left college. Right. Um, this is something I've talked about, you know, on multiple occasions over the years, is I think yeah. one of the really neat things about being in this career field is there are a lot of options of where you can go and you know some uh, so when i started i was really focused on technology and remediation i wanted to kind of be a an innovative technology remediation expert i did you know, a lot of work early on with bioremediation and soil vapor extraction oh, wow. and yeah. and you know planning and implementing re- remediation of contaminated sites i have a you know I a strong background in chemistry with my undergrad and so you know we really like that kind of stuff process stuff However, as I said, when, I, uh, when we made the determination to come to Hawaii, there's not a lot of industry here and there are certainly some contaminated sites to work on, but it's a little bit different than working for me with the company I was with working on the mainland where I might have been able to continue in that career path. I really had to open up in order just to stay busy, just to have work come in the door, you have to adjust to what's in the market. And so, you know, back to your question, I think it's really useful, especially early in your career. To have the mindset of keeping your options open and, yeah. and not feeling like you have to have locked in on something. And the more open you are to mm-hmm. learning different things, trying different things, challenging yourself, the more opportunities you have as your, your career evolves. At least that's what I've seen yeah. opportunities to do more and interesting projects just continue to expand. Now, that's not to say that there's anything wrong with someone that is really focused on project right. management. Or right. really focused on some particular technology Saving area. The yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> right. We need yep. we need those people. I mean, yeah. you know, yep. we absolutely need them. And and in my career, I have relied on and worked with so many great subject matter experts. They, you know, they're really a the critical piece. I think to making this work fun and and successful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think so. too,
0: though, like, like you said that. We need both the subject matter experts and the generalists who can sort of fill the gaps and plug in where the subject matter experts may be. You know, they're very narrow. And as generalists, we can fill in all the different things that are needed around those things.
3: Right. Yep, exactly. We need to value all of that. Now, the skill sets that you hone may be a little different, right? So if you're a generalist, then you probably... Should be prepared to do a lot of team building and yes, and have yes. communication skills and organizational skills and other yes. things and and that's a lifelong work for myself. <laughs> uh, you know, being someone who started out more of a of a technician, but that's a great part of it because again, you can just continue to kind of build and expand on skills that benefit you. You know, even if you change jobs or you shift around within the career field or even leave the career field, a lot yeah. of those skills you know come into play. So,
0: yeah, I think the journalists tend to be a lot of the problem solvers. They've got perspectives from a lot of different areas and, and arenas. Yeah. Important people. Yeah. <laughs> well,
3: it's all, it's all important. Yeah. And the other thing that's built into that, of course, and you guys know this as well as anyone, is just the kind of dimensions of skill sets that come into play when yeah. you're doing work in the environmental field. I mean, so multidisciplinary, yeah. you know. One person can't really can't know it all. Can't know it all. You really, can't. it's it's way way too much. And so you know, I liken it sometimes like, well, if you're if you're a civil engineer, you know, well, you need to know a little bit about electrical engineering. You need to know how conduit works and how you integrate that in your system. And you got to understand a big uh, high power line or there's a, a low voltage line. And they, you know, you you have to know some stuff about that, right? And over, right. over your career, but you're not going to be designing. <laughs> transmission and distribution stations and transformers and stuff right Um, right right so i just love that about this career field and you know and i think others are multidisciplinary as well but continued amazed by the kinds of folks you run into and work with whether it's public facilitation or people that are doing work with ngos that are you know pushing the envelope on you know some of the sustainable and resiliency issues that need to be addressed i mean it just has from when I started in the industry and in this whole kind of cleanup world, especially was you know pretty limited focus, super fun was still pretty new uh, yeah. to what we have now. Yeah. Uh, it's really been amazing.
1: yeah, and I know like Hawaii has its own unique experiences and issues, and so I'm curious about those, and I'm also curious how that's changed during the pandemic. Is there something that's particularly you know specific to Hawaii?
3: Yeah, you know we've talked about this with the office and you know obviously. Like everywhere else, or just about everywhere else, we've been in a work from home situation, you know, really right. for the last year. One of the things about our businesses, for the most part, it's been considered an essential business here in Hawaii. Right. And so while we've certainly had restrictive measures in place, particularly with travel for a while there earlier in, in 2020, mid 2020, when, you know, r- the sort of risks. And the pandemic statistics were trending in the wrong direction. You know, right. there were controls, quarantining, you know, if you're going to go to one island. The islands are sort of different counties, you know, with some exceptions. Maui actually is comprised of three different islands. Well, four, depending on if you want to count go, go lobby. Anyway, um, right. 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 so you have a mayor and each county has its own You know, local concerns and local capacity and resiliency to deal with COVID cases. Mm, Like ICU beds on Kauai are very limited. They can't handle a huge outbreak there without a major, you know, medical infrastructure issue. So that mayor, you know, knows that. And and so had to deal with the pandemic maybe a little differently than here on Oahu, which is a city and county of Honolulu. So that has been noticeable in our businesses. We've had to adjust along the way about know, doing work that involved site visits or work in the field, coordinating with contractors, you know, making sure that safety plans have been updated to address COVID concerns, implementing yeah. things, you know, like project teams, you know, not having multiple people traveling in the same vehicle and right, you know, making right. sure staff and subcontractors are distancing and wearing masks and, you know, you know, just all that kind of stuff that I think is pretty common amazingly and you know i haven't done a statistical survey but my sense is from talking to my peers here by and large our work has continued on yeah without much upset
1: you know it's you know most of our questions or a lot of them are hawaii focused but it's such a unique experience to have you here and i know the the for example doing environmental work on the islands one of the things that's very unique to that area is the community and the engagement on that side of things and so maybe you could talk us through a little bit about, I mean, the communities involved and how environmental processes work on those islands, you know, when you're doing public projects. And then maybe if there's any other specifics about the islands that would surprise people.
3: Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think one of the things that, you know, first of all, I'll just put the caveat in. I'm I'm not an expert when it comes to some of the community interaction stuff. I mean, I've certainly done a, a lot of that on yeah. various projects through the years. I've seen you know, a lot of kind of different situations, you know, sort of, I would say, constructive and less constructive <laughs> community mm-hmm. engagement. Um, but one of the things about Hawaii that I'm sure it's not completely unique, but that, that is significant for us doing environmental work and the projects that we do is built into the, the native Hawaiian culture, you know, as I see it, is a very strong understanding and sense of place. Yeah. And the connection to the land, or aina, which is the Hawaiian term, you may have heard that term mm-hmm. used, and that's very real. I mean, certainly for true Native Hawaiians, yeah. um, but you know, but it becomes true, I think, for even folks that that aren't you know specifically native of Native Hawaiian you know ancestry, if they've lived here for a long time or multi generational here, they right. you know it's sort of it's just sort of part of the social and community fabric. And so when you do projects that involve disturbing the land, you know, whether it's new construction, even if it's something like ordinance cleanup and you're trying yeah. to do a good thing to get, you know, old military ordinance removed from an area. Yeah. You really have to approach it with the sensitivity of that value system and the right. community that's involved. And so what I've learned from folks that mentored me over my career mm. is right. it's very useful to engage specialists that are used to communicating with those communities, especially the Native Hawaiian communities, and and have sort of, a, sort of a deeper appreciation of some of their, you know, values and needs. And when you do that, and I think this is probably true anywhere, you kind of open up the opportunity for a lot more constructive dialogue and potentially even more project success. So I've done a lot of work for the military projects here, and it you know one of the really rewarding aspects of that work with some of the community interaction because a lot of times I think it's fair to say the U.S. military can get a bad reputation and certainly historically you know part of what has kept me in business for for many years is all of the sort of quote unquote sins of the past uh the way that that waste and contamination was managed or fuel was stored and transported and that kind of thing right right and so there's a real built-in sense of harm i think to a lot of communities and that was certainly has been true here but um it was so rewarding to be involved in particularly military site cleanup projects with military, both active duty and civilian leaders in those programs yeah. that really were sincerely trying to listen to the community and work with them. And when that was the approach used, you know, we often had a much, much better Dialogues and, and I think came to good outcomes on projects, and so there have certainly been some cases of public meetings gone awry. <laughs> uh, right. Unfortunately, I haven't been involved in too many of those, but from what I've seen, when that happens, it usually is because of some fundamental either lack of awareness or insensitivity yeah. to that issue, and that's why I've learned it's just it's important to learn from and listen to each other anytime you're interacting.
1: Now you've had a pretty interesting career and there's a moment, you you mentioned military ordinance and is there like a moment from that where maybe something you found or, you know, that that you could tell us about?
3: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I'll be honest. So I did military ordinance work about for the last 10 years. So I've stopped doing that now because my new job doesn't involve that kind of work, but what a interesting type of environmental work. Now I'll be honest, why do environmental people do you know, ordinance cleanup work, right? (laughs) Well, it's sometimes I find myself asking myself that question. Right, 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 right. But because of the way that the regulations and the military is working and all that cleanup, that all got put into the same cleanup program or similar cleanup program to what I was working on. So... They follow the same kind of processes, you know, yeah. RIFS and, and that whole kind of CERCLA sort of process gets followed. There are obviously some additional safety measures and other things. And yeah. one of the biggest, you know, kind of challenges, at least in Hawaii, and this may be true elsewhere, is when we were just talking about community concerns, there are a lot of archaeological sites and features yes, yes. in some of these former military lands. I mean, this the, the basic reality of it is the military came in and the, you know world war two-ish era it's kind of through the vietnam war era and they were looking for open spaces to do training either to put in ranges or to do maneuver training and it takes a lot of acres and a lot of that space has been places that were former native hawaiian you know communities you know yeah yeah. it may not be maybe they got flushed out to make space for the military or maybe they had already moved on to some another area but right there's a lot of planning and consideration for natural and cultural resources in that work. So all that, all those skill sets that you use doing, other, you know, the traditional environmental work comes into play. But you know, it was fun, and I, I won't lie. The first time on a project I was managing, which was on the Big Island, that we mm-hmm. did a demo of a bunch of dud ordinance, but it was still active, um, yeah, and, yeah, at risk. And seeing these technicians, you know, a little bit from a distance, but the work is not. As dangerous as you might think, when the right qualified people are doing it. Yes. But but seeing them all of the planning, everything you have to do to get to the point where you actually are putting donor explosives, you know, stringing stringing the lead wire on to the fire in a hole, and being you know three hundred yards away and seeing all that go up in a big explosion. If you your your little kid hat kind of gets put (laughs) back on, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty neat. And so, while that is pretty cool. Also. All that stuff that you just demoed or if it didn't need to be demoed that you got it carted off site or whatever means that that's not a grenade or that's not something some kid's going to be out there one day picking up and dragging back home or to their school or whatever. And so it's very satisfying work because while the actual risk, you know, sort of statistically of that stuff is low, if something bad happens, it can be really bad. Catastrophic. Yeah. 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 So it was really rewarding. And I just, I loved at that point in my career, having the opportunity to learn a whole bunch of new stuff. If, you know, to continue in it, I would be learning every day for the rest of my career because there's just so much, so much to learn, you know, when you go into kind of a new area, but yeah, super fun. Now, some of it was a little boring too. I mean, a lot of firing (laughs) ranges and and lead shot in a hillside and things like that, but, um, (laughs) Right, right. But yeah, you know, there are a lot. Don't quote me on the numbers, but I think like just the state of Alaska, for example, the last time I looked, they still had around a billion dollars backlog of program money to deal with these formerly used event sites, many and many of which, the majority of which I would say have ordinance issues because the non-ordinance sites... Many of them have already been dealt with. Yeah. So Hawaii was up in that range for a while. They've been chipping at it now for the last 20 or so years. And, you know, we're probably half a billion in, in Hawaii and Guam and Saipan and the U.S. Right. territories around the Pacific. They still have lots and lots of ordnance to deal with out at these sites, but look many at that. remote. This
0: is- 60, 70 years later, what yeah. we're yeah. cleaning up from this pandemic and it's, masks and plastic gloves for the next hundred years too. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I just saw. I know you probably saw the same report. I just saw that was kind of horrifying the numbers and the concern about how much of that may be getting into the ocean, oh, God. Yeah, adding yeah, to the Great Garbage Patch and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: Well, it's yeah. it's crazy to think about like the history of munitions, right? Like, so it's first of all, it's, I think people listening, it's hard for them to understand that like a bomb wouldn't go off. Right. You could launch it out of an airplane from you know, thousands of feet in the <laughs> air and it won't detonate. It doesn't mean it can't. It just, for whatever reason, didn't. Right. And then right. you start talking about, you know, like ranges. We talk about ranges now, like this is a firing range, this is a bombing range, et cetera. That didn't used to be the case. You know, when they first came out with bombs, you know, it's, it's, they decided eventually, Hey, we should really track where these were. And so some of the installations that have been around since World War II, I think, yeah, there's one in New Jersey, for example, where they were cleaning up the old range and didn't know the exact parameters of where the bombing range was because it wasn't written down anywhere. And so yeah. it's, it's a challenging, challenging profession, for sure.
3: Absolutely. And there's some folks, I've worked with a couple of them in, in different companies that have gotten quite good at sleuthing out that kind of information because yeah. you really, you're exactly right. What you just said, You know, some of these locations are not at, really at all documented or are yeah. marginally documented. And so a, a big part of You know, not every, but almost every ordinance job that I worked on was making sure you understood what the bounds of the site were. Mm, Yeah, and there were several occasions. I mean, I don't know. I probably worked uh, maybe a couple dozen or so sites total over that ten years, but there were just a few occasions where once we got into working at the site, we realized, okay, this the site is very different, (laughs) much larger generally. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So. Yeah. 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 Be prepared for that. And another thing about, you know, ordnance, just human nature, you know, you see a sort of really big bomb and you're like, oh my gosh, oh, it's a really yeah. big bomb. But one of the things I learned from working with these explosive ordnance specialists is it's really the smaller the ordnance, the more dangerous it is. Mm-hmm. Right. First of all, because you can yeah. pick it up and carry it around yeah, and exactly. handle it and all that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but just the way that they're detonated, you know, what the, you know, how they're triggered, they're just the smaller ones are much more sensitive. We had a job. It wasn't my project, but we had a job with my car company in Asia, and was at a military base. And they were excavating a utility trench, and they thought they were hitting a rock with the backhoe, and like trying oh, to get God. this rock out of there. And eventually, got enough uncovered and found it was a 500-pound bomb. <laughs> <laughs> After they had been like, yeah, you know, yeah. like the trying gamer, to chip yeah, it out like yeah. a rock, they had no, but they had For, no reason to expect that that would be there and never and there would never was a determination of why in the world this thing was sitting there you know (laughs) four feet buried four feet down along some sewer line or whatever it was and and that experience happens over and over and over again across the world you know anywhere You know? Yeah.
1: I mean, can you imagine that conversation? They're like, I don't know what it is. It just, it won't move. It hit it harder, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just I, I, get it out of
3: there, you know? <laughs> I wasn't there, but yes, exactly. <laughs> a little, a little horrifying and thank goodness that, you know, it wasn't yeah, that. Yeah, it wasn't um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So
1: yeah. Well, uh, keep you on so, your toes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> well, it's funny, Laura and I were actually talking about the movie Top Gun recently. So that's like, like my love of air, airplanes comes from that movie. You know, it was just, Loved it as a kid, and I know that's something that you're really interested in too. You're a pilot. Is that
3: right? Well, yeah, I, you know, so it was a lifelong dream of mine to have my pilot's license someday, and you know, flying is not a cheap hobby. It's not an inexpensive hobby, <laughs> right, right? Right, 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 right. I mean, if you really want to do it, you can work at it. And it may take a little longer, you know, to progress and to build up flight hours and all that kind of thing. But I just, yeah, probably about probably about ten years or so ago, I just was at the point before my son went to college where I had a year or two and I thought this would kind of be the time to do it. And yeah. so I did. And I'll tell you, it was such a great experience. First of all, it was personally rewarding because it had been a long time goal. So <laughs> that's right. neat. Yeah. But, but learning to fly in, in Hawaii was so cool because, <laughs> yeah. um, well, a couple of reasons. One is I was literally learning to fly out of Honolulu international airport. Now <laughs> look, it's, it's not right. Chicago O'Hare or <laughs> right, JFK, right, right. Right? Right, yeah, right? Let's be honest, but it's a busy airport with, right a lot of really big jets. And so so that was a little stressful <laughs> as a yeah. beginner, right? Well, and what kind, of, um, what kind of plane were you flying? I, I was flying a Cessna 172, which is like a very six-seater. common uh yeah. no, it's a four seater. Four seater. So there S- you go. Single engine yeah. four seater. Yeah. It's very one of the, you know, most common planes that a beginning pilot would would learn from Perfect swing. Right. And the other thing about Hawaii, well, there's a couple other things. One is it's windy here. So you learn to fly yeah, and crosswind oh landing. And,
2: yeah.
3: and I you know, had some, <laughs> you know, when you're still first learning and <laughs> yeah. you're getting bounced all around, it's a great environment. And I had very good instructor pilots, which I really appreciated. But then once you get up, the scenery is so beautiful. And the fact of that course. you can kind of island hop and I flew my family to Hana airport for my birthday one year. Oh, that's so cool. The famous road to Hana is all curvy and it's a like a day long (laughs) ordeal to, to drive it just from Maui, you know, on Maui. And we made a day trip out of it from Honolulu and just landed at the Hana airport and rented a car there and tootled around. It was, it was one of my favorite days of my life. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So there's just some beautiful scenery. So this was a great place to fly. Now, I son went off to college. So I kept doing that for a while, but then I had a medical issue. So I had to kind of stop for a little while. That's, yeah. That I got taken care of, but then I'd pay for college and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, I'm now yeah. I'm now back in the mindset of, okay, when can I get back out back there, out get there. my yeah. certifications all current and get back at it. My, and one of my, I don't know if this will ever happen, but one of my lifelong dreams is I'm kind of a baseball fan too. Yeah. yeah. Is to, you know, this would be a retirement kind of you know bucket list kind of thing is to go to the mainland rent a plane and then fly across the United States and try to hit as many baseball stadiums as I can during uh, the baseball season so
1: that would be so cool yeah. um yeah. And if you ever make it to Pittsburgh which you should the pirates are a terrible baseball team <laughs> i want that on the record i get it you know i've loved the team for years but that stadium is incredible and when you go you have got to go Firework night because they'll shoot them off the buildings in the river. There's fireworks going off. It's incredible. So that okay. has to be on your list.
3: So okay. That's Good. I appreciate the recommendation. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't want to skip Pittsburgh. Yeah. 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 It's a lot of fun.
1: But so what drew you into it? What was your inspiration for
3: maybe? Well, Honestly, this is kind of personal, but my only uncle on my mom's side was a naval aviator in Vietnam War. And he went down missing in action on one of the last missions he flew off an aircraft oh. carrier. Oh, wow. And um, so when I was about, I was probably four or five years old, and this is before he was lost, he made a visit to us. I, I'm from Ohio, actually, originally. Okay. Oh, me too. <laughs> oh, yeah, hey. Yeah, I was born in Toledo or Toledo. Oh, I'm from Loma. <laughs> <About to laughs> yeah, I know there. that. Area. <laughs> actually, actually, Oak Harbor was the little town near where we lived. So anyway, he came for a visit and we went up flying. And I remember sitting on my, my grandfather's lap in the front seat of the plane, you know, hanging onto the thing. And I just thought it was great. Yeah. And then a little bit, I guess, in homage to him, but I was just always interested and I had contemplated even trying to apply to one of the, like the Naval Academy or the Air Force Academy to see about that. And I just realized I didn't necessarily want to live the kind of life that had me on the road all the oh, time and yeah, the time, of thing yeah. in a way. So it just always stuck with me. And that's why. So yeah. I don't know. I, you know, read my cool. aviation magazines regularly. No, no. It's, <laughs> a great I just, just enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: Do you have a favorite plane?
3: Oh, like, I'm, I mean, on my personal, yeah, my my, <laughs> my personal favorite plane is a Cessna 172 because I know I can how to fly that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of great small general aviation planes out there, but I have to tell you, we went on a trip to Asia the year before COVID, and we flew on the 787 Dreamliner. You know, as commercial passengers, and that was pretty neat being in that plane. That's real yeah, nice, modern. Yeah plane so we don't get those in honolulu i you know we got it on an international leg gotcha so yeah. uh you know they're not flying them between here and the mainland so that was my first opportunity on it <laughs> that's that's so that funny. was pretty slick
1: <laughs> whenever, whenever we fly like I, my wife and i i'm always like hey you see this is an a380 this is the biggest plane that's ever and she's like nick i don't i don't care i love you but uh let's talk about yeah. something else <laughs> i'm like looking at the brochure and trying to tell her about the plane you know it's just
3: yeah yeah it just a quick side note, we had a trip to Europe planned, which we did go on a couple of years ago. So this was 2018. And I spent several extra hours planning that trip just to arrange to take the Airbus 380 from LA to Frankfurt <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. And then I went out of my way to look, to look at which legs had the Airbus 380. Yeah. And it turned out we had a mechanical problem out of Honolulu. We missed a connection and I never got on it. So I, have, oh, I still yet haven't oh. gotten my A380 flight. Gosh,
1: it's actually... <laughs> you, so one of my first experiences with NAEP was actually the LA conference. And mm. we went out to LAX and they had bought this land right across from the runway they were going to use for administration buildings. And then they found out it had one of the rarest butterflies in the world on it. So they ah. couldn't do anything with it other than take tours up there. And we saw an A380 take off. And I mean, it went like, we're like, is it gonna get up? You know, it's yeah. really, really incredible. It's a huge yeah. plane.
3: Yeah, I love I mean, uh, one of my little nerdy things to do is watch the YouTube videos you can see on crazy landings and crazy takeoffs and just seeing the amazing things these pilots do. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's really fun.
0: Oh, I didn't know about that. Nick and I were yeah. just talking about that stuff. We'll have to check it out. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot.
3: There's a lot on YouTube with aviation, you know, if you're into that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Cool. Now, I think we're getting close to our time here, but can you finish up by telling us a little bit about, your involvement with the Hawaii chapter of NAP and you know it's going on 30 year anniversary which mm-hmm. is super cool yeah. and you know what's your group like cuz i know they're all a little different
3: yeah they sure are and well so when i came here from the mainland i was looking for a professional society to get involved in right and for my particular background and what i was doing there weren't a lot of options it took a few years kind of working that out but i finally figured out that this group had gotten started up. That was the Hawaii Association of Environmental Professionals. And they had some kind of loose affiliation with the national organization, which has been around for more than 30 years, I think, (laughs) past 40 now, right? And so it had the kind of uh, folks with the sort of skill sets and similar kinds of you know interests and things. And so I got involved, I think it was around 2004 or so. So our group is, I would say, more focused, more of the people uh, in our membership do site investigation, clean up work. There's you know, storm water and some compliance, kind of multimedia compliance folks. We have a f- definitely have a few planners uh, in our group that are you know pretty involved. But yeah, Laura, you're absolutely right. You know, as I've gotten to know more about the other chapters of NAAP, you know, kind of seen that. So one of my missions, if you will, personal missions with HAAP with <laughs> and <laughs> NAAP for that matter, has been to keep our tent as big as possible and have this mindset that, you know, everyone can be welcome, you know, kind of if you're an environmental professional, you know, sort of however you define that. Yeah. And so we continue to try to, you know, do a broad kind of range of programming and the stuff that we do. I don't know where all the other chapters are in terms of their age and their stories, but one of the interesting things about NAAP just is the different origin stories that all the different chapters have the chapters all kind of came up out of this kind of very local kind of sense or regional kind of sense of what they were doing. And it's kind of a tiger by the tail for the national organization, I think at times, right. To kind of yeah. wrestle and, and, and get all of us chapters to <laughs> to get on the same page. And, yeah. and, you know, I've been one of the very kind of compassionate voices, I think, for, you know, try to advocate for that, a good balance, a healthy balance between a, a credible national organization that's meaningful and can yeah. be meaningful for local chapter members, whether they they join the national organization or not, and yet not lose sight of the fact that you know a lot of this work, a lot of our interests and needs are still at a local or regional level, you know, yeah, and national can help with that as well. so okay. I think every yeah. passing month and day, I feel like we're doing a little better in that, but there's a ways to go still, I think. It's fair to say.
0: Yeah. Well, congrats yeah. on 30 years. That's awesome. Yeah. And it really is. You do a great job of showing up to all the NAP things and staying connected with the chapter. So that's super appreciated as well. And I think you're right. That's there's the opportunity for people who are local that don't have an interest in the national stuff. This is my job. I work locally. I don't have time yeah. for that or whatever. But then you've got the lucky dogs like Nick who get to maybe work on projects all over the place and they have a place to go and somewhere else. And I'm going to, you know, whenever you have your 30th anniversary party, maybe that's my target goal to make it to Hawaii.
3: (laughs) That sounds great. That'd be awesome. Yeah. We're we're Um, both
1: invited. I think he said, he (laughs) did. Oh,
3: anyone will be welcome. Absolutely. (laughs) Especially you you guys. I think it's so great to have a
0: a space of like-minded people in just about anywhere you go
3: around the country, which is cool. Absolutely. And, you know, honestly, Laura, a big part of it is just there's so many good quality people that I have been able to interact with, with NAP and with the local chapter. And I mean, that at the end of the day is really the highlight, right? It's the human interaction that we get and um, the kind of, you know, the benefit we get from talking with and learning from each other and hearing other experiences and commiserating or celebrating, (laughs) whatever it may be. (laughs) Right. Of course. Uh, It's just been so wonderful for me. I'm fortunate and very thankful for the opportunity I've had.
0: Cool. Yeah. And we really, really hope this podcast is the embodiment of that. You know, yeah. we're just having people here from all types, like you said, broad areas of interest and disciplines and generalists and, and, and specialists alike mm-hmm. to really just yeah. talk about what it is we do. And if someone listens and wants to get in touch with Dennis, knows they're coming to Hawaii, wants a job with your organization, they give you a call. You know, please yeah, do.
1: Or, you bet. Or maybe you. a flight yeah. around the islands, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nick, any last questions for Dennis?
1: I think I just want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been great having you on and look forward to when this comes out. But maybe, you know, we'll have to have you back. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, guys.
3: I'd like talking to you anytime, whether we're on the podcast <laughs> or not. So it's great to... I know the podcast listeners can't see your faces, but I can. And yeah, uh, that's yeah. been wonderful. So yeah, thank you very great. much.
0: Thank you so yeah, much. You. Before we head off, anything you want to leave people with to find you or a project or something you've been working on you want to shout out?
3: I don't know about that. I mean, if anyone wants to find me, you can find me in the phone book or through LinkedIn. <laughs> <I don't laughs> or ask Laura or Nick. Yeah, they know I'm how like, to get yeah. old hold of me. Yeah, no, nothing in particular. We have a very vibrant, you know, industry here, like anywhere else. We're always on the lookout for good talent, you know, finding folks in this day and age can be a challenge, you know, yeah. not just from covid but just there's a lot of market demand, a lot of project needs and so hawaii can be a tough place to live because of cost of living and you're you might be far away from your family. so it's not a lark, it's not trivial, but for folks that can fit in, it can be a good place to have an environmental career. And I, yeah, please. And I would just say being, you know, active in this industry here for so long, I could be a good resource for people if they're looking for something and I try to do an objective job of helping link them up to other companies, other people that where I think they could be a potential fit for them because I, I just love seeing, especially young professionals have opportunities yeah. and getting a good spot, yeah. you know, for their careers.
0: Awesome. Great. Yeah, well, thank you. You heard it, people. Connect with Dennis, especially (laughs) if you're just visiting or if you want to stay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. All
0: right. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Dennis. Thank you.
0: That's our show. Thanks so much to Dennis Peters for joining us today. And wow, that was just so much great content.
1: Absolutely. He was a great storyteller. It was really fun to have him on.
0: For sure. Please be sure to check us out next Friday. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button and rate and review before you leave today.
1: Yeah. Thanks, everybody.
0: Bye.